We're joined by the columnist Paul Gosling, Brexit Party MEP Ben Habib, back with us. Good to have you guys back with us. And, and Jonathan Portes, who is a senior fellow from the independent think tank UK and a changing Europe. Jonathan, welcome to you, sir. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, as I say, some people have already looked at this 50p coin and seen a kind of parable of Brexit in there. Well, whether or not it is a parable, it does give us a way into a bigger question, which is how much has this whole Brexit exercise cost us so far uh, in terms of the UK uh, and public funds? Any idea, any way of working that out? Yes, there is. Um, and there have been several analyses of this, which basically look at how the UK was doing before the referendum in terms of growth and compared to other comparable countries and what happened since. And there's a pretty clear consensus among economists. You've done there's sort of four or five different analyses and they all come to roughly the same conclusion that Brexit has probably cost us in terms of our economic output about two and a, two to two and a half percent of GDP. So that's about 40 or 50 billion pounds um, off the UK economy each year. Um, so um, that's not as bad as some people were predicting, but it's still a pretty chunky hit. It uh, seems to like the an enormous amount of, of money to me. Well, what do I know about economics? But it seems like a large amount of money. Um, it's, it, it is, it's a pretty big hit. I mean, I think, remember, this doesn't mean the economy is shrunk. We're not in recession. We haven't seen a financial crisis. It's just that because of Brexit, and particularly because of the Brexit-related uncertainty and what that's done to companies' investment plans, that means the economy has grown slower than it otherwise would have. We'd have grown by perhaps 2% more, 2 to 2.5% more cumulatively over these three years if it hadn't been for the referendum. So is that imaginary money? Um, no, it's not imaginary money. I mean, we would be richer. Um, we would be make our wages would be higher. In particular, the pound would be higher. We'd be paying less for imports. We'd be able to buy, buy more um, and consume more if it hadn't been for the referendum. It's not, you know, as I say, it's not a catastrophe. It doesn't mean we've actually got poorer, just that we're poorer than we would otherwise have been. And Ben Habib, I'm sure you want to pick up on the word uncertainties there and say, I mean, let's be clear about this. We're not talking about the cost of Brexit. We're, cost, we're talking about the cost of the mismanagement of that referendum outcome. Well, I, I haven't heard that figure before of 50 billion cost to the economy as a result of the uncertainty. I am aware that global foreign direct investment is down. Um, there are economic clouds on the horizon everywhere. Um, actually, the United Kingdom's done very well um, in view of what you know how other countries are faring. You know, we're, oh, we're, I'm afraid that's just not true. That's what the analysis does. It compares well, the UK with other countries. So, I mean, well, really, I, I you, can, you can make the argument, I, but that's, I absolutely that you disagree can disagree. You. But these are facts. These, no, are, they're not they, facts. these are actually I, numbers. I, I don't know who you are, and I don't know what your political disposition is. But I've heard a lot of Remainers talking a lot of nonsense about numbers, and this strikes me as as nonsense. We've performed a hell of a lot better than Germany has, for example, recently. Um, foreign direct investment in the United Kingdom um, was uh, much better than it was across Europe. Um, so yes, there's been a slowdown, but whether you could, whether you attribute that to Brexit uncertainty or whether you attribute that to a general slowdown mm. is anyone's guess. And frankly, I think it's highly rich for anyone to say that's all due to Brexit uncertainty. Well, let's just, just be clear. Jonathan Porter is not here as a Remain campaigner, Ben. He's Professor of Economics yeah, at well, King's I'm, College I, I London. Heard, I haven't heard that figure before. No, he's a professional economist. He works fair for enough. the independent yes, fair think enough. tank. Fair enough. But, you know, a lot of 
university academics uh, remain by disposition. And I've never heard that figure before. And I think it's beyond anyone, uh, including this professor, to attribute the cause of any slowdown, um, particularly to one or another item. We know that the global economy is slowing. We know that foreign direct investment across the globe has slowed. And to attribute the United Kingdom's case to Brexit, um, I, I think is rich. Uh, Jonathan. Um, as I said, I mean, th these are simply numbers. We compare, and, and as I said, there have been five or six different analyses, um, none of them actually by us, but by, for example, the Centre for European Reform, by various independent investment banks, by indeed the Bank of England, that compare how the UK was doing compared to other countries, and that is crucial, before the Brexit referendum, and then the relative change since the referendum, and there has been a significant growth shortfall. And, and, you, and you're able to say that's all Brexit-related, are you? you? You've got uh, the ability to identify the particular well, cause. Well, indeed, because we have a also Bank of England research, which uh, um, so, so we know that much of that slowdown has been driven by a particular part of the economy, that's the fall in business investment. And we also know from other research, in particular a very large survey of, of UK businesses done by mm. independent academics, but also in cooperation with the Bank of England, which can trace directly the impact of Brexit-related uncertainty <laughs> on business investment. <laughs> right. So we can draw these conclusions. I don't, I don't, as, as, I don't, buy, don't buy any of that, I'm afraid. Uh, uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, you, you can ignore what actual analysis and evidence says, but it won't change the facts. As Now, it is quite right to say this is not a Brexit, this is not the effect of Brexit having happened, because Brexit obviously it hasn't, hasn't happened, happened yet. yet. It's the run-up to Brexit and the way that the process has gone and yeah. the impact and, and that I, has Again, I, I, mean, I, I gave you a line there, Ben, because, you know, you could make the argument that this is a metric of the mismanagement by particular government moves of Brexit yeah. rather than Brexit itself. But, but the facts are the facts in terms of this comparative study. Paul Gosling, the economist and financial journalist there as well, uh, this 50p coin, do you see that as some kind of a totemic or iconic symbol, Paul? Well, it is pretty symbolic, isn't it? However you look at it, William. I mean, just to enter into the previous discussion, though, I mean, if you look at the graphs, the change in terms of UK output actually coincides with the date of the Brexit referendum. And actually, if you look at the Northern Ireland economy, there's clear evidence about what has happened. I know of two very large businesses that had investment plans and changed their investment plans because of the uncertainty around Brexit, mm. one of which bought land. It was based in Northern Ireland. It bought land in Southern uh, Ireland, the other side of the border, in case it needed to. And I know another business that's on the border on the other way that bought land in Northern Ireland just in case. So instead of investing productively, they instead bought land in case they needed to. And that's an example of what has happened as a result of the Brexit decision. Not simply things about coins being having to be reminted. Zero thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five. We're talking about these these coins that have been scrapped, but also the cost of Brexit, the cost of Brexit uncertainty, the cost of Brexit mismanagement. However, you want to term it, depending on your perspective, of course, and whether you think it has been worth it after uh, the referendum in twenty sixteen. Pat in Ballygasun. Hi, Pat. Hello, William. Uh, I, I just I'd like to throw away uh, my tuppence into into uh, conversation Please that do. man was having with the is what I would call a, a Brexit cost denier. You know, sort of that's all right talking about trade and whatever and, and business, but you know there was money actually spent on getting out of 
you know, sort of out of, out of, out of, out of uh, the, on the Brexit exit, yeah? Well, it hasn't uh, happened and yet. And not of least of which was the money that was spent on designing these and um, producing these coins. Well, that's a tiny amount of money, really, isn't it? Well, we don't know. I don't know how much money. Ten was or twenty million. Or so. on the, you know, on advertising and all the arrangements yeah. and all the arrangements. Well, the advertising could be a hundred million. Yeah. Preparing for Brexit, yeah. But mm. anyway, listen. You know, with regard to the what we call, with regard to the coins, is it not possible to recoup some of that money if all those coins, instead of melting them down, they were? Uh, uh, Put out as commandment, of course. <laughs> you can make a fortune, couldn't you? <laughs> uh, thank you very much for that idea, Pat. I would love, Ben, I would love to have one of these coins, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd love Even that. with, I, I mean, especially with the false date on it. Wouldn't that be more fun? That would be, I agree. That would be terrific. I, I don't know why they printed those coins. It was a sign of over-optimism, I think. Um, but there Because you go. Brexit was going to happen on the 31st of October, yeah. do or die. It well, was, we all, it was going to happen. We all knew the minute the Ben Act was passed that Brexit wasn't going to happen. It just didn't seem to dawn on Boris Johnson that that mm. was the case. And then the advertising campaign that mm. uh, Pat has just mentioned there, Paul Gosling. A uh, hundred million pounds. A hundred million pounds yes. and people being emailed and, and posters Plus, everywhere. Was it eight billion on no deal preparations? I mean, these are fantastic sums, actually. I mean, and, uh, and those of us that weren't terribly sympathetic to David Cameron will remember back to this phrase, the magic money tree. Mm. And suddenly there was a magic money tree, but it all went to waste rather than actually being well, used. Well, it's a magic money forest now, isn't it? Oh, quite. It's eh? everywhere. Yeah. This money. But th this six to eight billion you're talking about for no deal preparations, some people believe that was money that we spent on the basis of getting some leverage in the negotiations, knowing there would never be a no deal exit. Yeah, I mean, uh, th th these are hypotheticals, aren't they? I mean, you, you, but it's, this is an enormous amount of money that's not been used productively, that no one's gained really from. Mm. And and if you think about the things, you know, think of the things we need in Northern Ireland, where we've got a North National Health Service that's collapsing, you know, yeah. that really has such long waiting lists and waiting times. I mean, really, this is complete scandal. I mean, you know, uh, it puts even RHI to, to a sh into the yeah. shade, really. I mean, it, you know... And Jonathan, part of that figure you were giving us the 2.3% output uh, reduction, I, I guess some of that has to do with companies that took advice from the government, especially big companies, to engage in no-deal Brexit preparation. And some companies, individual companies, talk about tens of millions of, of pounds in preparation money. That That's right, although I would say that actually... Um, the money spent on no-deal preparations, the actual money spent, is mm. probably a relatively small proportion of that. It's probably more the distraction of companies' efforts, and and you know, because if you're being told by the government you should be spending management time on preparing for a no-deal Brexit, you should be checking that you have everything in order. Um, it's not this. You, you're not likely to be in the frame of mind to make major investments, or to continue, ex, or to consider expanding, or setting up uh, new, uh, trying to find new export markets either in the EU or beyond. So I think, in a sense, it's less the amount of money that has been spent on on consultants and the like than the sort of what we economists call the opportunity cost, all the other things that we could be doing. And I think that's a. There's a bigger aspect there because it's not just about money, of course. It's also about politics. I mean, Paul mentioned the, the NHS. Um, I mean, I think one thing which, which politicians of all sides um, have pointed to is the way in which Brexit has in some way sucked the life out of the rest of the political process. So every, you know, I think all parties agree, for example, that we have a social care crisis. Um, that, and there has been a social care green paper 
waiting, ready to go for at least the last mm. year, but nothing has happened simply because the politicians are too absorbed with Brexit to actually get on with doing their, their normal job of trying to run the country. And Ben, obviously there are different reasons why people would make the case for Brexit. Some of those will be economic reasons, maybe people want to develop free trade deals away from the European Union, and that means leaving the customs union. For example, that might be a trade reason for, for doing Brexit. Yeah. There might be political sovereignty reasons for doing Brexit um, in terms of the European court and all the rest of it. So lots of different reasons. But when you look at the economic figures and the impact so far on output, and I don't know whether that's temporary or permanent, has it been worth it from an economic point of view? Well, we haven't, we haven't done Brexit. And I think one of the worst things the government has done is actually failed to prepare adequately for it. And I don't mean, you know, making sure that the ports at Dover are unclogged and so on. What I'm talking about mm. is a proper Brexit vision of mm. post, uh, post-Brexit United Kingdom. And it doesn't require spending a lot of money. What we needed to do was have a proper business plan for how the United Kingdom would trade once we were out of the union. For example, we would have 39 billion at our disposal, probably 65 billion actually, if if we do Boris Johnson's deal, because we'll be stuck in the transition till December 2022. We'd have that 65 billion at our disposal. If we were to levy tariffs at WTO levels, the government would earn 13 billion euros per annum given current levels of uh, imports. Our, our exporters would pay about 5 billion, but there'd mm. be a net surplus of around 8 billion, which the which could be deployed in the in, in the British economy. Um, we would have the ability, as we would be unfettered by state aid, to create um, free ports in the uh, uh, free ports in the United Kingdom. We'd be able to cut VAT levels, which are controlled by the European Union at the moment. Can't you do free so port- much? Can't you do free ports already? There are already free ports. Uh, no, you can't. You're 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 prohibited. Your hands are tied under you know taxation um, mm. uh, uh, undertakings. So there's, you know, no positive vision has been prepared for a post-Brexit Britain. And so much could have been done to engender a sense of optimism and hope and travel forward with, with, you know, with with confidence. And as it happens, the May government presented Brexit as a necessary evil. Um, an evil that was going to cost the exchequer money, was going to cost the economy money. And so everyone's view now is imbued with this negativity. And actually, it should have been a very positive event for the United Kingdom. But is Kingdom. this just really about making people more optimistic or dealing with the facts? When no, for the got, facts. I mean, I just chucked figures out some like figures a 2.3% reduction in output. No, but, you GDP. know, we would have had, we would have had some, depending on which figure you want, we should take mm. somewhere between 39 and 65 billion at our disposal to spend on the British economy. We would have had the surplus that would have come from tariffs. And incidentally, some tariffs are good. You know, this notion that everything needs to be free trade is is wrong. But when the rest of the world watches this, Ben, it looks like the Keystone Cops, doesn't it? It does. It looks like Keystone Cops. I think our government has been inept. I think Theresa May let the country down terribly. Boris Johnson hasn't been around long enough to really do any meaningful planning. He's only been in the seat for three months, and he's had a hell of a lot to contend with in those three months. But so much could have been done, and so much hasn't been done. And, I, and that's what really breaks my heart about the whole thing. What do you make of that response, Paul? And I know that some some Remainers will, will, will say, you know, Brexiteers will never accept responsibility for Brexit, but Brexiteers will say Remainers don't recognise that there's never been a proper 
and, and fully invested approach to delivering Brexit. And we've I, almost got two different worldviews. I, I think Ben's got uh, a couple of important points there, actually. Firstly, I think it's amazing that while the Irish government fully prepared for the possibility of uh, a, a, a leave vote, that the David Cameron instructed civil servants not to prepare for a possible yeah. Brexit vote. I, I think that's one of the, the most uh, explicit examples of political failure. It is I astonishing, can, isn't it? It is astonishing. Back, yeah. So I think yeah. that... that is one point. And the other point is, the must, in Whitehall, there must be a plan for what our economy would look like under Boris Johnson with his plan for Brexit. But it's not being published. And I think we do need to have an honest conversation about what type of economy we should have, whether we should have this Singapore on, on Thames, low mm. tax, low regulation economy, which I would very strongly oppose, or whether there's some other vision. If it is, well, I don't know what it is. a clear choice there, isn't it? And Jonathan Boris, just finally, I mean, we, we, we don't have an economic assessment, do we, of, of um, Boris Johnson's most recent iteration of this deal? Um, we don't have a, 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 the government's assessment, although um, we know from the government's assessment of May's deal and other uh, uh, mm. possible options published by the government then that the government would expect that... Yeah. The impact of, of Boris Johnson's deal will probably be a, um, a hit of perhaps 5 or 6% to the UK economy yeah. over 15 years. So that's long term. But I, I agree, you know, if we can end with a note of contention, I agree both with, with Ben and Paul. You know, the government has not outlined its vision mm. of what a post-Brexit economy looks like. And that is a big hole indeed. Just before we go, like four or five seconds each, Ben, Habib first. Who would you put on the back of the 50p coin, Ben? <laughs> Who would I put on the back of the field? Oh my Nigel God, you there, absolutely... Would you? I'd put Nigel oh, Farage. you would not. Absolutely. Would you? Thank you for prompting oh, me well. on that. Paul Gosling, who would you put there, Paul? <laughs> uh, Keir Hardy. Keir no Hardy. <laughs> ah, Jonathan, this is the big reveal. Huh. Adam Smith. Ah, there you go. <laughs> Father of the Scottish Enlightenment. Yeah. Thank you all very much. Uh, that is it from us. We will see you tomorrow.